Good morning, everyone. You have met Jeremy Isaacs, our Canton uh, campus pastor. Let me introduce myself. My name is Mark Walker. I'm the senior pastor of Mount Perrin North, Marietta, and Canton campus. It is my great pleasure to welcome you to our official launch here. We are so excited that you took the time to be with us today, and we do welcome each and every one of you. We're looking forward to what is going to take place here over the next coming weeks and months as the Lord has us out here, but we're so glad that you came to be with us today. If you happen to have a Bible, would you take it please and turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1. Now, you will find the book of Ephesians in about midway in the New Testament. It's right after the book of Galatians. It's right before the book of Philippians. Uh, if you have a Bible, you have a table of contents. You paid for it, so use it. Don't feel ashamed if you've got to go look it up in the table of contents. And we do encourage you, if uh, when you come to be with us, that when we gather together, that you have a Bible with you. If you don't happen to have a Bible, we would love to be able to supply one because that is going to be the primary text by which we look and, and teach and share together. And you can have a Bible on your app, a Bible app on your iPhone or your iPad, or you can bring leather bound. Or if you have one of those big family Bibles that can anchor a boat, you can bring that with you if you like, whatever, whatever shape or form. But, uh, and if you don't bring a Bible, that doesn't mean God loves you less. And if you do bring more than one Bible, it doesn't mean he loves you more. It's just simply, I, I just believe if we have our own, when we're walking through those verses together, you can take notes, underline, then go back throughout the rest of the week and go back there and sort of have your own self-study. This morning, we want to begin a brand new series uh, for the next several weeks out of the book of Ephesians entitled Chosen. Now, we're going to be looking throughout the book of Ephesians throughout the year, not straight through, but we're going to look at different series in this particular book throughout this year so that hopefully by the end of the year, we have been able to study all, if not most, of this, this wonderful New Testament writing. This morning, I want to talk to you simply about being chosen. This series is called Chosen, about the idea that we are chosen for God's greatness. Now, I don't want to stand you up and sit you down a whole lot, and, uh, but I do want you to stand up for the reading of God's word, if you will, please. I know you just sat down, but I just believe in honor of him this day. And just looking at verses 3 and 4 of Ephesians chapter 1, they'll be on the screen as well. But this is what is written. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. You may be seated once again for prayer. Father, we once again come to you and thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for the presence we do feel. And God, now as we continue to look to you, just to take your word that you've given to us and will you help us to learn it and understand it, uh, unfold it into our lives, enable me to share it the way you want it shared, God, that we'll truly hear from you today. We ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are eight days into 2012. And probably right now, for those of us that made New Year's resolutions, about 25 to 30% of us have already quit. Because the stats tell us that about 50% of Americans make New Year's resolutions every year. But by week one, 25 to 30% have quit. By week two, about 30 to 35% have quit. By week four, about 40% have quit. By six months, 50% of the people that make New Year's resolutions have quit keeping them 
altogether. And you may be somebody that makes a New Year's resolution. You may not do that kind of thing. But, but all of us sort of have a different approach, if you will, an attitude when it comes to coming into a new year. I came across the difference between a pessimist and an optimist when it comes to the new year. It says an optimist stays to see the new year in. A pessimist waits to make sure the old one leaves. Now, I don't know about you, but that's some of the way I feel sometimes. I came across two New Year's prayers. One of this is just a general prayer. It says, Dear Lord, so far this year I've done well. I haven't gossiped. I haven't lost my temper. I haven't been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or overindulgent. I'm very thankful for that. But in a few minutes, Lord, I'm going to get out of bed, and from then on I'm probably going to need a whole lot of help the rest of this day and year. Please help me. Amen. I pray that every single day. And here's a New Year's prayer for the elderly, those that might be a little older in age. It says, God, this year, grant me the senility to forget the people I never liked anyway, the good fortune to run into the ones that I do, and the eyesight to tell the difference. I just want that eyesight thing, to be honest with you. And then this is the last thing. Maybe, maybe you're somebody that maybe you came into this year and you said, you know what? I, I really got to work on the stress in my life. I'm just too stressed and I'm really trying to get that worked out. I, this may help you. The word stressed spelled backwards is desserts. So there you go. There's a way to get out of stress. Just eat more desserts. Of course, if you're trying to lose weight, that's not going to help you a whole lot. You may be somebody that makes New Year's resolutions. You may be somebody that doesn't. But really the tendency of every one of us is to want to improve our lives. We want to get better. We want to advance. We, we want to live the highest quality of life. That is within every one of us. And I believe it's within every one of us because God created us that way. You see, God created us for the highest quality of living that we could possibly live. And he's offered that to us in himself. So he's placed within us, whether we believe in God or not. I believe what's within every person is, is God-given in this desire to advance, to, to improve and, and, and reach the highest quality of life possible. In essence, that's what we're chosen for. And Paul, in this writing in Ephesians, begins to unlock to this in the first five or six verses of this letter. And let's just look at the first two verses, just sort of get the setting and, and where we're at here. Verses uh, 1 and 2 of Ephesians 1. Again, it'll be on the screen. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see this is written by the apostle Paul, and it's written to the church in the city of Ephesus, which we call the Ephesian church. Now, Paul started the Ephesian church. In fact, if you look at Acts chapter 18 and 19, you read this fascinating story of how this church got started. It's a great read. I encourage you to read that. And Paul stayed at the, in Ephesus to start this church for about two or three years, and he had a strong relationship with these folks. And the church in Ephesus became a very prominent church in the first century. So much so that when you look at the book of Revelation, chapters two and four, two through four, or two and three, excuse me, you see that uh, Ephesus is one of the seven churches that the letter is addressed to because it was such a prominent church. Also, Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians while he's in prison. He's in prison in Rome for preaching and teaching Jesus Christ. And while there, he writes several letters that we see in the New Testament, one of which is this letter to the Ephesians. Now, the, the city of Ephesus is important to get a little hold on. So hang with me a moment. Let me just sort of paint a picture of what Ephesus was like. Ephesus was, what a, was a large a center 
uh, 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 in the Roman Empire. It was one of the prominent cities in the Roman Empire. It was located in what was then Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey, and was right on the sea. It was a major seaport. So Ephesus was a seat of commerce. There was a great deal of trading and buying and selling that took place in Ephesus because many merchants would come to that seaport. So it was a great seat of commerce. It was also a seat of entertainment. Ephesus had a large arena and stadium for having sporting events. It also had a large gym for training. It also had a large amphitheater for plays and and musicals. And it was a seat of the arts and entertainment. It was also a seat of education. It had housed, at that time, the third largest library in the world, and it held the uh, leading medical uh, college or, or medical center in the world at that time in Ephesus. So it was a seat of education, but it was also a seat of occultism. It, it, it housed the uh, temple to Artemis, which was the goddess of fertility in the, among the Greek gods. Or another name for her is Diana, depending on if you look in the Roman or the Greek mythology. And she was one of the major influential goddesses of the gods of the Greek and Roman people. And because she was the goddess of fertility, there was a great deal of sexual immorality that took place in this city. A great deal of prostitution, both male and female. There was a tremendous amount of sorcery and witchcraft that was going on in this city. And this city boasted about two hundred to 300,000 people. It was a large, major metropolis in its time. And like any major city, just like we have today in the major city in which we live, there's all kinds of influences that are competing to to capture our attention and to get us to live life their way. There's all kinds of influences say this is what life is. This is what your purpose is. This is your destiny in life. This is who you are. And that was happening in Ephesus and it happens every day today. And Paul, he writes this and says, hey, I want you to remember something. I want you to remember Among all these influences that are trying to tell you who you are and how to live, I want you to remember who's chosen you, why he's chosen you, and how he's chosen you. So we're going to look at that today. And the first thing we want to see that Paul tells us is that we are chosen by God. Say, I'm chosen by God. We're chosen by God. Look at verses 3 and 4 again with me in chapter 1. Paul writes, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us. God has chosen us. We're not not chosen by some random uh, process of, of evolution. We're not chosen by some providential fate. We are chosen by the true and living God. We are chosen by the maker and the creator of everything that there is. We are chosen by the sovereign God that is working all of his purpose and plans out and come to pass in this world. That's who we're chosen by intentionally, specifically, strategically, personally, you and I chosen by God. Now, this word chosen to me means this. It it communicates to me the idea of worth. When I'm chosen, I feel a great sense of worth. It means useful. That I'm very useful. I feel useful when I'm chosen. That I'm wanted when I'm chosen. That, that, I, that I have a belonging when I am chosen. You know, when I get chosen for something, you know, I'm just happy I got chosen. You know, I don't necessarily know that I feel these particular feelings of worth and belonging and usefulness. You know when I feel those feelings? When I'm not chosen. That's when I feel like, oh, I'm useless. I'm not wanted. I don't have belonging. I don't have worth. And I I don't know what your year was like. Maybe you're one of the pessimists to make sure that the old year left. 
Maybe that's what your year was like. Maybe, maybe you, you, just the past, just this first week of this year. Maybe, maybe you felt more rejected than chosen in the past year. Maybe you felt more picked over than picked. And maybe you just feel like you're sort of been kicked to the curb. Can I, can I tell you today that whatever life has done to you, the God who made you has specifically, intentionally, personally chosen you. And he's chosen you in a specific way. He says that we've been chosen by God. And we've been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. Now, what does all that mean? I need to define some terms here quickly. The word blessed means here to benefit or to prosper. It's interesting. The New Testament is written in, in Greek. But if you look at all the other Greek classical literature, and you look at how they describe all the different Greek gods in the Greek, the Greek uh, uh, classical literature, this Greek word for blessed is never used to describe any of the Greek gods. The only God that is described as the God that actually blesses his people is the the true and living God, the God of the Bible. You and I have been chosen to be benefited and prospered by God. And he says something specific in the heavenly realms. Now, that's an important phrase in, in this letter. Five times Paul uses this phrase. Heavenly realms doesn't necessarily mean the heaven, like the, the location, physical place, heaven, though there is a physical place, heaven. But it's talking about God's greater reality and purpose. It's talking about the high quality of living that that we're made for. It's talking about God's viewpoint. It's talking about his, his worldview, his vantage point on things. It's where real reality and real purpose exist. It's, it's in him. It's the eternal things coming to bear on the temporal things where we live. It's a higher purpose and calling that each one of us has is chosen by God. Maybe, maybe we can look at it this way. And I'm going to use several sports analogies here this morning. You'll notice I've been watching way too much football over the past couple of weeks. But, but when, when a team goes and plays a game, whatever the sport is, they go and play a game, the purpose of playing the game is to win. That's the purpose of playing the game. They're there to win. But then every now and then, and you'll hear these stories where Some player on one of these teams was tragically killed or severely injured. And then that team dedicates the entire season to that player. They've just elevated themselves to a higher purpose. They're playing the game, but they're playing the game with a whole different purpose in mind. They're playing the game not just to win. They're playing the game to honor, to honor that player. And then that shapes every way by which they play the game. It shapes everything in in which they do to train for the game. It shapes everything in which they do to execute in that game. Because they have a higher purpose and calling. God has chosen us to the highest quality of life. The eternal things. And that is to place toward us to live in him. So that we can shape everything that happens in this life. We're not here. Just to try to have more positive than negative things happen in our lives. We're not here to try to make sure we have more successes than failures. No, we have been chosen to something much higher than that. It's in the purpose of God. So you and I are chosen by God. But then Paul says we're chosen by God. Blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. The idea of spiritual blessing basically means that I have everything I need. In order to live in the greater purpose and reality of God. That God has supplied me everything to live this life. God hasn't chosen us to fail. He's chosen us to succeed. He is our father. And like every good parent. How many, how many parents do we have in the room? 
Got parents in the room. That's about every hand is as best I can see in some form or fashion. All good parents, what do we want to do? We want to equip our kids to succeed. We want to put them in the positions. We want to resource them. We want to give them the tools that, 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 that they need to succeed, to have, have the best life possible. We don't want our kids to fail. We don't, want to, we don't set them up to fail. We set them up to see the same with our God. He's chosen us to this high level of life that he's called us and chosen us to. But he doesn't say, hey, man, just figure it out yourself. No, he equips us. He provides us every spiritual thing we need by which to lead in this life successfully. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He has given us His Word of truth. He's given us the gifts of the Spirit. He's given us prayer. He's given us worship. He's given us a corporate body to come together. These are all the tools and means by which we can live in this life that God has chosen us for. We are chosen by God. But then Paul says we're chosen in Christ. And this is very, very important. He says we're chosen by God in Christ. Christ, look at verses 4 and 5 with me, please. We're going to read a portion of verse 4, and then we're going to skip to verse 5. Look what Paul says. He says, for he chose us, God chose us, in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. We're chosen by God in Christ. And that phrase in Christ, Paul uses some 36 times in this letter. He uses it 164 times in the 13 letters that he writes of the 27 books we have in the New Testament. This is a very important concept to Paul, but it's a very important concept in understanding what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This idea of in Christ means this. It means to be positioned, to be in the position for living life and defining one's identity. It is the source I should say he is the source from which we define who we are and by which we understand how to live and what living life is all about in the life.